Welcome to The Investigation. I'm Chris Flasto, Senior Executive Producer here at ABC News. I'm joined by my colleagues John Santucci and Matt Mosk, both senior reporters on the Trump investigation. Today we actually have our first journalist on the podcast, Axios national political reporter Jonathan Swan, whose interview with President Trump's senior advisor and son-in-law, Jared Kushner, making waves across the political sphere. Jonathan, this is a big get. Before we get into talking about the clips, why did Jared Kushner do this interview with you? My sense is he's gotten through the Mueller report. By the way, I don't know exactly why he's doing it. I asked him and he didn't really give much of an answer. But my sense is he got through the Mueller report. Uh, You know, a lot of people were speculating he was going to be indicted. And I think he felt vindicated after the report and probably... Uh, wants to answer some of the questions that have been hanging over him for the first two years. And there were no ground rules for this interview, right? There was no area you could or could not ask? Uh, I've never done an interview with ground rules, so I don't know. Of course no. not. No. There were at times, when you when you read the interview, it's one thing, but when you watch it, that he didn't totally feel... I, I don't know if it's comfortable is the right word. I mean, did you feel that when during the interview or not? I mean, to some extent, look, he's a Jared Kushner is a very private person. I mean, we did it was two sessions, right? We did one at his home and one uh, at the White House or the executive office building. And, you know, the interesting thing was the, the part where he was least comfortable was actually when it got when it was personal, you know, with things about frankly, what I would refer to as softballs, questions about his family and things like that. He, he did not want to talk about that. The other reason he's, he's challenging to interview is because he, he, he is a very secretive person. I don't, uh, I don't use that as a pejorative, but his team is very, very tight-lipped. So it's a, almost a pointless exercise. I tried my hardest to get new information out of him on the Israeli-Palestinian peace deal, but he, he did not offer any. And, you know, I was asking him about the next stage of his immigration plan, for example, and he conceded that there was a stage two and three, but he wouldn't tell me anything about it. So he was determined not to make news when it comes to those details. It keeps them very, very tight. So the more interesting questions with with Jared Kushner are, frankly, the bigger, uh, more philosophical, more open-ended questions um, that aren't trying to get him to break news on, on new policy. But let's first listen. Listen, this this podcast began as an, uh, a look at the Mueller investigation. So the, the one big question that you talked to him about was that infamous Trump Tower meeting. Let's talk about one thing that, that you did do. On, on June the 8th, 2016, you were sent an email with an offer of help for the Trump campaign from the Russian government. I'm sorry, which email are you talking about? Uh, the email from uh, Ron Goldstone. Look, Jonathan. No, 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 no. My no, question no, no, to you. My that. question to you. My question to you is, why didn't you pick up the phone and call the FBI? It was an email that said Russia, that said the Russian government was trying to help. Like, why didn't you do that, Jonathan? We're in a place now where people are playing Monday morning quarterback and they're being so self-righteous. Let me put you in my shoes at that time, okay? I'm running three companies. I'm helping run the campaign. I get an email that says show up at four instead of three to a meeting that I'd been told about earlier that I didn't know what the hell it was about. 
okay? I show up at the meeting, I stay for 15 minutes, it's a, it's a clown show. One second, now let me finish this. I text my sister and say, you know, can you give me a call to get me the hell out of here? This is a waste of time, I leave. I never would have thought about that meeting again, okay? Had there been something that actually was nefarious at that meeting that came up, maybe we would have done something different. But the reality is, is that the meeting was a total waste of time. Waste I need to stop you there. This is, we're talking about Russia here. They are a long-term adversary of the United mm -hmm. States. Decades of hostility including spying, does it not set off at least some alarm bell when you see an email saying that the Russian government wants to help like I, like I said, the email that I got on my uh, iPhone at the time basically said show up at four. I didn't scroll down. I never would have thought about that. It email. had Russia in the, in the subject line. Again, I would get about 250 emails a day. And so I, I literally saw show up at four. I showed up at four. But, would but you call it, the FBI if it happened again? I don't know. It's hard to do hypotheticals. But the, the reality is, is that we were not given anything that was salacious. Well, as a journalist, that's, that's good stuff, Jonathan, I must say. But he didn't seem to want to answer that question. No, and the main thing I wanted to challenge him on is I'd heard him, he was asked a version of this question on stage with Time magazine, and his answer was quite similar to the way he started the answer with me, which was basically saying, I wasn't thinking about this. I wasn't focused on Russia. I was focused on, you know, what to do in Wisconsin and Michigan and the mechanics of the campaign and the data operation. And I sort of wanted to, uh, the, the thinking behind the pushback was basically to say, well, really? I, w I mean, we're talking about Russia here and, and, and an email that explicitly said this is part of the Russian camp, uh, government's attempts to help uh, Donald Trump's campaign. So I wanted to see whether he had uh, learned anything from the experience, uh, especially given that the FBI director, Christopher Wray, in congressional testimony, said that he would advise, I'm paraphrasing, but he said something to the effect of he would counsel any campaign that heard from a foreign government or a representative of the foreign government to let the FBI know about it. So that was the thinking behind that set of questions. But, you know, he very aggressively defended himself and, and said that, you know, it was self-righteous and people playing Monday morning quarterback to ask a question like that. But Jonathan, let's switch gears here um, because, you know, obviously the big thing now uh, that he, the rest of the Trump family are going to be dealing with uh, is oversight from uh, Capitol Hill. Democrats, uh, of course, opening, as you know all too well, um, every investigation they can think of uh, into the Trump administration. Um, but, you know, the one thing Jared said to you that when I when he said it, I, I, I almost fell off my chair when I was watching it. He says, at this point, I have been fully vetted. He really seems to believe that, doesn't he? He absolutely believes that. And it's not the first time he said that. He said that, I think, he, again, he said that in his Time magazine interview. But, again, to see it from his perspective, the way he looks at it is he has been through the whole Mueller process, um, through the ordeal with John Kelly internally, the former chief of staff, which I think took somewhat of a toll on him and was a relief when that ended. This was sort of the whole debate over his security clearance. And so I think, and also just frankly, when he talks about being vetted, I think part of it is probably the very intense press coverage of him for two years. So yeah, I, I think he was very sincere when he said that, and he said it with a great deal of passion. And the other question I think that comes up at watching this interview is whether Jared Kushner remains untouchable in the White House and whether 
by virtue of some of his difficulty in answering your questions, he faces some vulnerability with his father-in-law. Do you have any feel for that? I don't think that's true. I think I think he's in a very, very strong position. I mean, we said in our, when we wrote the story that he's the most powerful family member uh, of a president since Bobby Kennedy. I, I don't think you could mount an intellectual argument, intellectually honest argument to counter that. Now, that he's not invulnerable, and there have been times throughout the last two years where the president has been irritated with him, mostly when you know he attracts negative news coverage. There's been a couple of stories, but one in particular when Jared's sister, Jared Kushner's sister, was in China from mm, recollection. Visas, it was, yeah. yeah, Trump yep. was furious about that. So he's not invulnerable, but but I mean, he's family and. Yeah. The, okay. So there are there are a few tense moments in the interview, but if you just look at it as a big picture, he defended the president at every turn, right. um, and I don't see any reason why his role will be anything but what it has been and what it probably will continue to be. The other th- interesting thing I sort of picked up, which you probably don't get from the interview, is he's very happy and comfortable in Washington now. I mean, I think he really is settling into Washington and. I would be surprised if Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump left Washington before the end of the Trump administration, whenever that is. I feel like they're laying down roots here and really kind of enjoying the roles that they have. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, that role. And, you know, just going back to what you said about how the the family connection, uh, he stopped short. Um, of of calling fake news <laughs> when you start to run through uh, some of the reporting over uh, the last several years um, between uh, us, some of the major papers out there, you as well, um, in regards to his finances and uh, different banks that he's had relationships. I know you talked to him about uh, Deutsche Bank, and you also had an exchange with him um, about Citibank and a meeting uh, that he had with one of their uh, chief executives uh, in the spring of 2017. Let's listen to that. I want to ask you about Citigroup's chief executive, Michael Corbett. He met with you around the spring of 2017. Shortly thereafter, Citigroup lent $325 million to your family company. Yeah, so uh, again, uh, when I we mean, got... That's, I mean, you could see the appearance of a conflict of interest there. No, uh, look, I, I understand the appearance. Again, I didn't know they were discussing business with our company. I was meeting with a lot of executives when we I mean, got... We know you're a lender before. Let, let me finish. Again, they were a lender for a long time, but so, so was a lot of reason. Wouldn't that be more reason? But I didn't know there was ongoing uh, discussion. But we met with a lot of people. Look, again, the CEOs of the banks have a lot of insight into what the consumer habits are, what the different regulation policies. When we got here, a big thing what we were doing is figuring out what should be the policies we should put in place to stimulate the economy. We met with uh, dozens of CEOs on a regular basis. When I came into government, I gave my extensive financial holdings. Look, I, I was successful as a business person. I gave them to the Office of Government Ethics. Uh, and I said, look, can I, I do this? But let me say this again. Can I do this, right? They went through each of my entities. They said, sell these, you can keep right. these, and uh, operate in this way. Right. But Jonathan, as, as you well know, and you said it in, in the interview with him, you know, for him to say he didn't know what the Kushner companies and others up to is very hard to believe. I mean, he, he took over the company at, what, 22, 23 years old when Charlie Kushner went to jail? Yeah, I mean, yes. Uh, the, one, the, the meeting that I found the hardest to believe was, was the Citibank one because, okay, if you take him at his word, um, the meeting he took to me, the meeting with Joshua Harris from Apollo Global Management, a private equity firm. So Jared Kushner meets him in the White House, and then you know 
later that year, Apollo Global Management lends $184 million to Kushner companies. I could see a situation where he has, you know, if you take him at his word, completely recused himself and is not involved in the company, doesn't know that they're doing business. Citibank was a, a previous lender to them, and that's the meeting that really you wouldn't take. And, and I think I could see from the way he responded um, that if he if he had to do it again, he wouldn't do it again. He didn't say that, but it seemed to me that that was a meeting that he realised the optics of it were not great. I mean, that was a huge loan that they gave, and uh, and he you know, met with the CEO in the White House. Do you think he's been more careful? Do I think he has been more careful with meetings? Mm. I don't know the answer to that question. Um, the My guess is yes, because we haven't seen another story like that since I think that story came out in 2017 from the New York Times is my recollection or maybe early 2018 we haven't had another story like that so my guess is yes he has been more careful Jonathan one issue that you discuss which is a very sensitive and actually a big issue involving this president is his perceived racism you you mentioned the birtherism and you also mentioned the Muslim ban let's listen to what Jared had to say about this Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez mm-hmm. uh she calls she has called president trump a racist Mm -hmm. have you ever seen him say or do anything that you would describe as racist or bigoted so uh, the answer is uh no absolutely not Uh, you can't not be a racist for 69 years then run for president and be a racist and what i'll say is that when a lot of the democrats call the president a racist i think they're doing uh, a disservice to people who suffer because of real racism in this country was birtherism racist um, look, I wasn't really involved in that. I know you weren't. Mm-hmm. Was it racist? Uh, like I said, I, I wasn't involved in that. I know you weren't. Mm-hmm. Was it racist? Um, look, I know who the president is, and I have not seen anything in him that is racist. So again, I was not involved in that. Did you wish he didn't do that? Uh, like I said, I was not involved in that. That was a long time ago. The other issue that often gets brought up in this conversation is that he campaigned on banning Muslims. Would you describe that as religiously bigoted? Look, I think that the president did his campaign the way he did his campaign. He did. And I think but do you he, wish he didn't? Do you wish he didn't make that speech? Uh, I think he's here today, and I think he's doing a lot of great things for the country, and that's what I'm proud of. I mean, everyone knows there's daylight between the two of them. Why don't you think he tries to protect his own reputation? Because I think, firstly, I think people misunderstand Jared Kushner a little bit. The view of him coming into the administration that was propagated in some circles was he's this big liberal from Manhattan, this white knight that's going to be moderating the president. People who know him well and who work with him say that he actually agrees with Donald Trump on far more than he disagrees with him. Far more. And, you know, you could go through the issues. It really is only a few issues that I've been told that he has genuine discomfort. Um, It's pretty clear to me that, uh, well, sorry, I've been told that gun control is one of them. Um, I asked him about abortion. I think that's probably seemed like another one because he was fairly uncomfortable there. And I I wanted to ask him, look, the, the, the whole exchange on racism, I thought was an important question because there is a chorus of, of, let's almost entirely Democrats, you know, with some very prominent voices like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who are, who are calling the president a racist. So I asked him a very open-ended question, which was, you know, have you ever seen him say or do anything that you would consider racist or bigoted? Um, I didn't want to 
ask him to explore what was inside the president's heart. I was wanting him to see whether he thinks that the president has done or said anything that he considered racist. And he gave a very full-throated defense of President Trump. And then I asked him about the two, I thought it was a fairly obvious follow-up, probably the two instances which when people have this conversation, they bring up as a data point. You know, when you hear people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez say the president's a racist, the, the data points and evidence that they use are things like birtherism, um, you know, the Muslim ban, the comments about Judge Curiel, the Mexican, you know, what he said, the Mexican judge, who's actually American born, but during the campaign. So I asked him about two of those as data points. It, it seemed to me that he was pretty uncomfortable. Uh, but yeah, as you say, he didn't, uh, he didn't call out the president or go against the president. And that doesn't surprise me one bit because uh, loyalty is the most prized asset um, in Trump world. Thank you, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Season two of Axios on HBO airs 6 p.m. Eastern time on Sundays. Let's take a quick break. Welcome back to The Investigation. I'm Chris Vlasto, and I'm joined here again by John Santucci and Matt Mosk. Well, that was quite an interview with uh, Jared Kushner, and actually I thought his answers were very polished, and he had far more command than he normally does in these other instances. He still did not want to answer any of these questions, especially about the Trump Tower or his financial deals. i got to disagree with you, Chris. I actually think that this was an interview where um, he was polished, and then it sort of fell off the road as soon as we got to the Trump Tower meeting. Yeah, I think that he, and and on the racist question, yeah. too, he, he looked like a deer in the headlights, and his skills of evasion were not very practiced. But, but also, like, the skill that he's had, which, frankly, his wife has, too, that they are able to keep monotone, be very calm in an interview. When he was getting pissed off, I mean, for him to say, I didn't know what the hell we were doing with that meeting, I mean, you actually saw his real anger at a having to relive that memory again and b to sit there for that interview and feel like okay once again i didn't know what this was i didn't have anything to do with it why is everyone making a big deal of it i i actually thought it was one of the times that you got a little more of a, a real reaction out of him see but i i thought he didn't stray once he stayed in the company line and those were real questions and actually i i thought jonathan swan was tough on him i think uh, so too and and but he didn't waver you know, I mean, this is like life in the big leagues. And I was a little surprised. One thing that I think that the interview is revealing of is his sense of uh, security about being in the clear. The Mueller report is out. That's He's right. not implicated in yeah. any way in any sort of criminal activity. And the fact that he would sit and do two sessions uh, in an interview like this and take questions like this suggests that he feels completely invulnerable on the on the question of the investigation. Well, well and, and I even thought what Jonathan said about that the both he and Ivanka are going to stay uh, till the end of this presidency, I think is totally true as well. I, I mean, think they're going to shut the lights off with the president whenever he ends up leaving. Yeah, all, um, those, all those indications of saying where he was going to only stay a year and et cetera. Nope. 
Yeah. Well, and 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 recognizes, as he said, you know, uh, we we keep our opinions to ourselves. If we disagree with the president, you're not going to hear about it. And to his credit, you know, we really have not heard much of anything as of late of disagreements between them. I mean, obviously, there's other people in the White House that um, are pretty clear how they feel and disagree with the president or the administration. But for him and his wife, um, they they have been successful in that respect. I was also struck um, by the fact that. Uh, when uh, Swan asked Kushner about security clearances and if he had discussed it uh, with the president, um, he gave a very similar answer that Ivanka gave to ABC earlier this year. Uh, same thing. Nope. Didn't discuss it. Didn't come up. Didn't address it directly with the president. And we know that's going to be a question uh, that the House Oversight Committee has had. I mean, that that battle, Matt, I think is just sort of kind of stagnant at the moment. There was back and forth letters between the White House and Capitol Hill, but we haven't seen the committee actually move forward yet. Yeah, Matt, let me ask you a question. Is that Michael Corbett Citibank deal, is that illegal, what Jared was doing? I think the legal issues all surround the question of intent and knowledge. And what Jared, I think, artfully was trying to do was skirt around anything that would put it into a legal realm by saying that he wasn't aware that his company was having these conversations with Citibank at the time. Um, I think that if if there was evidence that he was engaging simultaneously in policy discussions with Citibank at the White House and personal business discussions with Citibank about his company, that would be a potential legal problem for him. So awareness would be the key issue there. Our best understanding, and it has been quiet on the Hill about this, is that the security clearance issue has not gone away, that the House Oversight Committee is still keenly interested in it. It's just that there have been so many issues that have been bombarding them at this time that, uh, you know, it may be a little bit on a side burner, but I don't think it's gone by any stretch. And I have a question for you, John, which is my immediate reaction watching this interview and the clips that have been out there is that Jared's performance was less than maybe the president would like from his people. Um, Does the president watch these? And will this be bad for Jared internally? Um, The president if it's on a mainstream outlet, you can guarantee the president will see it. If it's cable or something like that, I mean, he swears by TiVo. Um, for something like this to actually see the entire thing, um, someone's got to put it in front of him. He won't go digging for it. So um, to your point, parts of it that you could argue are not so good because he doesn't give a straight, clear answer. You know, the the West Wing has had this tendency of backstabbing and backbiting. I, I think the biggest enemy that Jared Kushner had was Steve Bannon. He's gone from the building. So it would really require somebody to take that step um, and put it out for the president to see it. Probably on an iPad was the way that they used to do these things. Um, but I, I don't see that happening anymore. I do think um, the fractions that had existed um, are were, are gone. Um, and to your point earlier, Chris, about you know uh, him staying to the end and the power that he's wielded, I don't think there's anybody bold enough um, to go directly to the president and knock Jared and show something that would hurt Jared to the president. And I would argue, as I started this questioning to say, the fact that he never slipped in his daylight with the president, you know, is the president's going to say, see, he's with me 100 percent. 
There wasn't one. He may have gotten angry and testy and all that. I hope if ever, anybody ever accuses me of racism that somebody will do a better job defending yeah, me than Jerry I, I, did I, I, think, I, think, I think the no answer answer is problematic. But again, it's if he sees it. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to hit subscribe, leave us a rating or a comment. We welcome your feedback. Thanks to our producers, Trevor Hastings, Caitlin Fulmer, Emily Wachowski. For my colleagues, John Santucci and Matt Mosk, I'm Chris Blasto. And we'll see you back here next week on another episode of The Investigation.